From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Deconstructing PSYOPs, propaganda, and mainstream media garbage. Connecting the dots. You're with Matt Arrett and Connecting the Dots on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back to Connecting the Dots. I am uh, joined here by Levan Gudads, who is uh, a fantastic geopolitical analyst and somebody who has been maintaining a couple of wonderful YouTube an- analytical websites, one a little bit more than the other as far as geopolitical analysis. One is uh, Opinion with Levan, and the other one is From Russia with Levan. Levan is also a frequent guest on the Duran with the two Alexes. His analysis is something I've appreciated for a long time as far as geopolitical play-by-plays, but also an ability to take a step back and appreciate some of the contours of the broader terrain that we're living in, the historical currents. So I really do appreciate having you on, Levan. Welcome to TNT Radio. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, great honor, great honor. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Of course, it's a it's a great honor on, on our side too. And let me ask you this. I, I like starting with a bit of a personal question um, first. So you're from Georgia, if I understand right, and now you and you moved to Russia, where yes. you're currently set set up. Okay, what made you the what what made you come up to the decision to say okay? Georgia is not the place necessarily I want to I want to be in right now. I feel like Russia is going to be a more strategic place for me to 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 work and speak well, within. What what made that decision happen? Uh, it's a, a long story. I'll try to uh, share with you in, in as short as, as possible. So, in two thousand and eight, I was editor in chief of news agency in Georgia, and uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, conflict uh, erupted. Initially, civil war inside the Georgia between Tbilisi and Srinwali, that's the capital of South Ossetia. It was a decades old uh, uh, conflict since the collapse of Soviet Union, basically. And uh, uh, at the time, President of Georgia was Mikhail Saakashvili. He, his regime, uh, did not like uh, what we were doing. And uh, basically, we were doing journalism. I said to my colleagues, you know what you do, uh, whatever. Uh, you think is uh, necessary to inform public as as much as you can because better informed public are capable of better decisions and uh, then we will see uh, how it will uh, turn out and unfortunately uh, Sarkashvili's regime did not like it we end up under pressure and in 2009 in 2009 I was basically forced to evacuate family and uh, leave to uh, flee to Russia that's that's how we end up in Russia in 2009. So it was not a pleasant uh, situation, of course, but uh, things happen when you are in journalism. So it's not really that surprising. Unfortunately. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. No, and you exhibited a lot of poise and courage uh, throughout this entire period. I mean, and, and Georgia has been a place which has been um, Georgia has been a place which has been targeted for quite some time by uh, by color revolutionaries. Um, and I noticed that there has been a bit of a pushback. Saakashvili really found himself in prison for a while. Yes. First, he found, he found himself in, in Odessa doing some weird stuff there. Uh, <laughs> and then he found himself in a Georgian prison. Um, could you say a little bit something since we're on the topic of what what's the story and what's the what what is currently going on in Georgia is there and is there a danger of a new color revolution occurring inside of Georgia since I know the yeah there's not not everything is falling directly into the position that certain manipulators would want so what what do you see currently as the as as the story Uh, of Georgia now yes as as you rightly uh, mentioned uh, Saakashvili himself was a creation of color color revolution in 2000 Three, he, he did rule two terms, um, and he was replaced by current uh, ruling party, Georgian Dream, which did uh, quite a, a good job, uh, I will say, to secure Georgia, to secure Georgia. And it's the first time in last uh, decade when uh, Georgia did not have any internal uh, military conflict or, or conflict with, uh, with the neighbor. So country, current government definitely does... Uh, quite good job to secure Georgia's interest, to secure society. And Georgia is developing quite rapidly, economically speaking. And uh, well, since uh, 2022, when uh, uh, special military operation began began in Ukraine, certain forces in the, in the Ukraine and also in the United States, in some other major uh, countries in the West, uh, probably did uh, 
try to provoke second front kind of using georgia using um these groups that uh, were uh, exactly the revolutionaries groups that participate in the color revolution in in uh, 2003 they did try to destabilize country several months ago uh, they did to try to storm parliament in georgia yeah and distract uh, uh, communications and and so on but fortunately for for georgia uh, government did um, stand up to these uh, provocations and they did manage to calm things down and uh, just a few months ago uh, about two months ago uh representative of georgian secret services did made um, a statement that uh, still danger at, at this point georgia is under danger that certain forces in ukraine and names were uh, said also for example mamuka mamulashvili who is a formerly head of georgian legion which is uh, fighting on behalf of uh, Kyiv regime uh, uh, so he was named also deputy of uh, ukraine's military intelligence he is a georgian in his origin and uh, the ukraine's military the head, of, the head of the georgian legion was made deputy head no, of no no Ukra- no 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 okay uh, okay uh, uh, deputy uh, current deputy of uh, ukraine's military intelligence also has georgian roots oh and him uh georgi lotkipines if uh, i may mistaken his fam- surname but he is definitely has connections in the route and he was named by georgian secret services as one of the organizers of uh attempts to destabilize georgia with force with you with use of force also mamuka mamulashvili was named who is the head of georgian legion right that's a uh group of mercenaries basically that are uh, operating under umbrella of uh, military intelligence of ukraine and you can clearly see connections isn't it one georgian is deputy and this is georgian legion and some other groups also was named by georgia's uh, security services inside the georgia and uh, um, fortunately at least for now at least for now they did manage to keep things uh, under control but danger that certain forces will be used to destabilize georgia to conduct regime change or color revolution and then uh, use georgia as a kind of second front against russia still exist and this is uh, uh, statements that georgian officials are uh, also uh, making so that's mm. situation in, in georgia it's and, it's and under control case, now but it is mm, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but but is the is it, i'd read somewhere that it was the georgian legion um that was also possibly involved with the shooting uh, during the maidan um yes as part of the shooting operation of both cops or the police officers as well as the protesters um is that true in your research did you uh see if that's something that is true? yes uh, uh yes georgian uh um Georgian sources stated this uh quite a few times it's open secret it's open secret at this uh, point hmm. high-ranking Georgian former military even stated about it several years ago that it was uh, members of this uh so-called Georgian legions that uh, basically opened pu- open, open fire in 2014 on both sides on side of protesters and on side of uh, police in the Kiev mm-hmm. and as a result of it uh, as we know 100 civilians were killed and that was used as a pretext to conduct regime change after that it before so. I, I, i'm going to keep on this topic just before we go to the commercial break and after the next break we'll we'll shift gears a little bit and go to some other geopolitical stuff but in georgia is there a um i mean you're bringing up a lot of collusion between the the fascist elements of ukraine and georgia as far as creating this anti-russian front is that was there a, a historic dynamic of Nazism inside of Georgia that's been cultivated as we saw with the Med, the Banderites over the years? Is there something similar in mm. Georgia too that I'm not aware of? Or no, what what's causing no, this? Uh, what what's causing this cultural beast uh, to be groomed uh, and and uh, maintained by by Western intelligence over the years? Then where does it where does it find its roots? Oh well, uh, intelligence we can say it happened. Uh, after collapse of uh, Soviet Union during the Soviet Union all the republics had uh, quite good relationships and Georgian Soviet Socialist Republic and Ukrainian Republic did maintain great relationships so uh, relationships on on a base level was always good but uh, when Soviet Union collapsed in Georgia two uh, civil uh, civil wars erupt in two uh, locations initially 
And then even in Tbilisi, there was a civil war. <coughs> Sorry, but two civil wars that I'm talking about now was uh, based on ethnic uh, differences, unfortunately. One was Abkhazia and one was South Ossetia. And we are talking about uh, exactly times when Soviet Union was collapsing and collapsed. So it's uh, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, Ukrainian, uh, because uh, uh, because uh, Georgian government at, the, at that time, uh, under leadership of Zvetgam Sakhurdia, was uh, quite hawkish towards Russia, one may say. Anti-Russian sentiment was uh, um, uh, spread in the, in the society. And basically, since then, almost every government, except uh, this one that uh, in in ruling in, in in charge now in Georgia, every government was uh, basing its ideology on anti-Russian sentiment. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of this uh, element, Ukrainian neo-Nazi uh, groups did fight on behalf of Georgia in uh, this civil war in Abkhazia. So mm -hmm. that's when connection began. Okay. So there was uh, dozens of Ukrainians, uh, mainly, mainly not all of them, but mainly members of uh, UNAUNSO, Ukrainian uh, neo-Nazi formation uh, or quasi-political organization and other radical groups. Their members were fighting on behalf of Georgia and Abkhazia. And uh, that's how connection uh, was created be between the forces. And then after color revolution in Georgia, uh, Basically, I guess uh, Western secret services continue to further um, build up on this connection between uh, forces of Mikhail Saakashvili and his inner circle and uh, between uh, Ukrainian neo-Nazi or extremist groups, let's say. And uh, uh, this uh, connection was used in 2014, for example, when, uh, as you mentioned, uh, most likely members of the so-called Georgian uh, Legion participate in this uh, crime when uh, fire was open on uh, Protestants, on civilian Protestants, and also on police uh, uh, members in Kyiv. Mm -hmm. And after that, after that, this Georgian Legion did uh, stay and fight in Ukraine. And it's kind of, um, and that's that's a whole story, really. It, it has its roots no. in 90s, when that's Abkhazia good. conflict erupted. And, Ukrainian neo-Nazis were fighting on behalf of Georgia to harm Russia. That's what they were thinking. I don't think they were caring about Georgians. Their main motivation was that they are doing something that will harm Russia. And uh, Ukrainian Nazis also did fight in, che in Chechen war. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, there were a number of Ukrainian uh, extremists were very actively participating on behalf of uh, terrorists in, uh, in, in 90s when uh, military operation was conducted in Chechnya. Chechen Republic. So this is a very efficient. I, I appreciate I appreciate this very condensed overview and I this is good. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back with more on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Just a terrible situation there. And Biden was behind it, pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went. I bet you more than 50 percent didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in, in uh, Palestine uh, with the U.S. since since well, under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down. Thank God. But under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to uh, that part of the world these people are have been after israel forever and and uh, supported by iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them uh, you know basically uh create chaos in the middle east terrorism and and we saw what happened earlier this year about a month ago uh, the two one attack in israel and the death and destruction rape and kidnapping more than 240 people kidnapped joe hoft on today's news talk radio tnt People might tell you that Lyme doesn't kill people, but we are losing people. People disappear from their lives. One of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like, I don't remember what I did last week, but like, I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible, I'm dying. I wasn't working. So I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into 
my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lime is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. All right, we're back with Connecting the Dots, and I'm here with Levan Gudads. Um, recently, Sergei Shoigu gave a very strategic and very important year in review, um, sort of an update on what has occurred both within Russia, but especially on the uh, the, spil- spe- the special military operation. Um, you did uh, some really good coverage taking apart and really just evaluating his uh, his analysis very, very nicely. What would you say would be the most important takeaways that people uh, would receive from Shoigu's message? Um, I think uh, one of the most uh, interesting uh, points that Shoigu made and people did uh, spoke about is conservative estimates of uh, Russian defense ministry when it comes to for example, casualty numbers on uh, Ukrainian side. This topic is uh, is bigger in uh, all around the world, I guess, because everyone is trying to come up with numbers which side lost how many military personnel. Unfortunately, that's a topic of uh, discussion. And uh, estimates of Russian Defense Ministry, according to Shoigu, is about uh, 380,000 uh, military personnel that kill regime lost uh, uh, during the special military operation, killed and wounded. And many people find it very conservative. Many people, including experts, find it very conservative. Estimate also, also of course, uh, uh, Shoigu highlighted that uh, all, the, all the goals of special military operation is uh, succeeding. Russian military industrial complex is uh, uh, quite ex- 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 impressive when it comes to deal- weapons deliveries and the uh, def- uh, defense ministry has no issues with munition, uh, new weapon systems. Shoigu did mention that uh, new type of uh, weapons have been deployed to frontline, for example, in four, seven months time, when usually in peace times, this kind of developments take like five, seven years. That was also interesting. And uh, well, main, main point, of course, was that um, uh, all the all the goals, all the goals of special military operation will be achieved. This is uh, this is important because lately Western media outlets began pushing this narrative. As I understand that, some sort of negotiations. It's time to some sort of negotiations to begin. Especially this narrative become uh, obvious after interview of head of Ukraine's general staff Zaluzhny when he said that it's a stalemate on the front line and Western media went in a meltdown after that. And I guess some political. Um, some politicians also in the West because uh, it, it was, I guess, shocking for them. I don't know what they were expecting, but it was <laughs> kind of shock for them. And uh, Shoigu, Dengar Asimov, and even uh, President of Russian Federation did make statements that uh, despite the expectations of some uh, forces in the, in the West, all the uh, goals of special military operation, demilitarization, denazification will be achieved. And uh, Basically, quite uh, direct messages have been sent that uh, negotiations can take place. Moscow was never against negotiations, but uh, on Russian terms. It's uh, quite clear that uh, negotiations will take place on Russian terms, and uh, these terms will be much more severe than in uh, 2022, in March, April of 2022, when negotiations did take place in Turkey. But, uh, uh, and Kiev has the initial agreement uh, uh to you know for truth to end hostilities and uh, if you remember russian of course you remember russian forces withdraw from Kiev region chernigov and sumi region as a gesture of goodwill to demonstrate that russia is serious when it comes to peace talks and russia was demanding quite little mm-hmm. uh, protection of russian speakers protection of russian language and neutrality of ukraine yeah but uh, but unfortunately even though initially Kiev agreed on these terms then uh, Boris Johnson, then Johnson, then Prime Minister of U- UK, did went to Kiev. Also, high-ranking officials from US, and these negotiations were derailed. And now Moscow mm-hmm. is quite clear that uh, this time terms of Russia will be very different. 
very different. And you know, Shoigu did spoke about so many topics, important topics that it's 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 hard to yeah. pinpoint. Uh, no, and this is not going to replicate people sitting down and listening, or at least reading the captions under his speech, which can be done if they go to Taz or, or there's a variety of websites that are hosting that, um, or just read the transcript. Uh, but this is good. I really appreciate the general summary and the the essence of the uh, the lessons. I wasn't it the case as well that the the head or one of the head negotiators for the Ukrainian side during those those peace negotiations or at least uh, discussions uh, ended up dying or or dying a very strange yes. premature death, which eliminated a lot of the. He was assassinated, right? He was assassinated by SBU. Ukraine's uh, one secret service, and this individual was working for another Ukrainian secret service. He was working for military intelligence, and the SBU, mm. Ukraine's other intelligence service, thought that he was a uh, agent of Russia or something like that, and they assassinate him. So that, that's a level no, that, of that, uh, that, level of. That's that's good. That's that's rich because we often overly simplify things when we talk about Russia is this, America is this, Ukraine is this, and we don't appreciate that there are factions within different countries that oh. represent different interests. And it's so important to take the time to just appreciate some of that nuance so that we don't misjudge what's going on right in front of our noses that so many people do. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't realize that myself, that there were these two different factions within. I didn't understand oh. what he represented such that he was killed by something within his own government. I, that, that confused me. So I appreciate you you saying that. Uh, at, at this point, this confrontation, internal confrontation, even more, uh, even more severe, because uh, since uh, this uh, at this point, famous statements of Zaluzhny, when he said that it's a stalemate and he did began criticizing, basically, Zelensky and his policies quite openly, and he declared basically himself as a major opposition uh, candidate at this point, major leader of, of opposition, and uh, straight away camp was created around Zaluzhny. So he's a major camp now, is created around Zaluzhny. Zelensky, of course, has his own camp, and also Budanov, head of military intelligence in Ukraine. He has a camp also, and just recently, wife of, wife of Budanov, end up in hospital because uh, according to even Ukrainian sources, SBU tried to assassinate Budanov and uh, they mistook some, something happened and his wife was poisoned and her bodyguards instead of Budanov. So things in, in, in Kiev are very much escalating at this point. Maybe in the West, uh, media are not reporting about it, but things are very tense in, in, in Ukraine right now. Among Let internal discounts. Oh, yeah. No, it sounds really uh, daggers out. Um, what about uh, Arestovich? I, I had read today that he made some remarks as well, saying Zelensky is totally misguided, that most of the troops that are out fighting are looking for excuses to uh, surrender, that, that Ukraine is essentially lost, is what he's been, it's his messaging. He's a former advisor to Zelensky. Do you think that yeah. he's also somebody who came out saying things about how early on, that Ukraine should learn from ISIS, uh, ISIS <laughs> techniques. So he's a very, very weird character in my mind. Um, uh, do you think that he's also being, is is there a chance that he might be a replacement selected by the West um, to, to replace Zelensky? Or do you think it's more the other two that you just mentioned? Most likely, I will say Major Camp, Major Camp, who has most chances to replace uh, Zelensky and his inner circle. It's, of course, Zaluzhny and Zaluzhny. And yes, uh, 100%, because he has military support, he has public support very much. Uh, and I can explain why, how this support have been uh, have been created. Sure. Aristovich, although also quite a, a well-known figure in, in Ukraine, quite extravagant uh, uh, character, as you mentioned, and he has, he's somewhat popular also. So uh, he, he, he definitely uh, is, uh, I guess, among the names that uh, that uh, possibly Western Western leaders are considering, whenever they are talking about replacement of uh, Zelensky, and I have I have good reasons to uh, think this way because about two weeks ago, head of Russian foreign intelligence uh, did made statement that during the last meeting of uh, EU uh, member states, foreign ministers of EU member states. Uh, uh, one of the topics of discussion was uh, uh, among those leaders were names, candidacies who may replace Zelensky. And uh, among uh, 
several people, uh, Aristovich was also mentioned. That's the information that was shared with public by Russian foreign intelligence service, and they should know what they are talking about. So they, they should have a really, really uh, concrete proof of that. So yes, Aristovich may be uh, seen by some uh, forces in the West as a replacement. He is most likely can be seen by Moscow as someone with whom Moscow can talk. Uh, but um, is he more? Uh, is he has more chances than Zaluzhny? I don't think so. No, mm. Zaluzhny, I guess, major figure, and the UK's UK's secret services, UK's military intelligence, gonna have a hard time to protect him uh, from Zelensky and uh, SBU, uh, because okay. as you probably know, just recently his aide was killed. I did not aide know that. Of, no. Wow. Yes, uh, in very strange circumstances, aide of Zaluzhny was killed. Uh, and uh, about a week ago, about a week ago, there was new scandal in, in Ukraine when uh, uh, listening devices were found in office of Zaluzhny and another his aide. And of course, even, even Ukrainian channels did uh, began speculating that most likely it was SBU. And SBU is in camp of uh, Zelensky when... Uh, and SBU has uh, and uh, Zelensky's camp have, has a conflict now with uh, not just Zaluzhny but also Budanov. So it's it's a it's deadly triangle there in, in Ukraine between uh, these right. three uh, major figures: uh, uh, Zelensky, Zaluzhny, and Budanov. So, so if if Z between uh, uh, Zaluzhny or, or Budanov, who do you who would you think would be the most preferable replacement for Zelensky? Uh, Zaluzhny, of course, because uh, I don't think Moscow will ever consider to spoke with uh, Budanov because Budanov is head of military intelligence and this structure, military intelligence, was actively involved yeah. uh, in uh, terrorist attacks inside Russia, in killing right. of uh, public figures, in killing of journalists. And Budanov has uh, basically stated openly that he was involved, he and his uh, institution was involved in this. So there is no way Moscow will consider him as someone with whom some uh, serious talks can be can happen. So def Moscow can see negotiable candidate Zaluzhny, although he is an uh, enemy at this point, isn't it? But at least uh, he didn't act as uh, as uh, extremely as uh, Zelensky did and uh, Budanov. So mm. uh, I think most likely Zaluzhny will will be seen as a as a somewhat with whom negotiations can take place by Moscow and also. Uh, uh, if not uh, by everybody in the West uh, who makes decisions, at least by significant portion of uh, really influential groups. First of all, in, in UK, in UK's intelligence uh, community. And what types so. of sacrifices do you think that Zeluzhny would be prepared to make? Like, would he be willing to sign an agreement to allow for the Donbass and, and Crimea to fully just go back to Russia? And would he agree to a neutrality um program as well or do you or do you think that do you think that these are too much this is too much to expect that he wouldn't be allowed to to make these types of accommodations by the nazis I think who would main issue now for moscow at least will be how legal how legal uh Zaluzhny will be if he will replace um zelensky because for russia uh, probably you did notice that whatever steps moscow makes it, it tries to everything to be as uh, in a legal frame as possible. So let's say new regions. It was referendums then to uh, secede from Ukraine, to declare independence. Then was referendum to join Russia. Then Russian government, Russian constitution court discussed this topic and they made decision, yes, it's legal, we can do this. Mm. Putin and his government in every step are trying to stay in this uh, legal uh, framework. So that mm -hmm. every step is legal and if Zaluzhny will replace Zelensky with uh, some sort of military coup, uh, Moscow may find it difficult to talk to him even because uh, if whatever papers he will sign or whatever agreements, uh, it's always can be disputed that this person was not... He's not legitimate. He's not... Right. He's, he's not, not legitimate. Legal. Yes. Yes, that's, right. this is one of the reasons why mm. Zelensky is free to walk around Ukraine, for example. And uh, many people, even in Russia, and I guess outside of Russia also, probably wondering, why is it uh, happening? Because people did see what, let's say, US does. Whenever they 
acting, uh, conducting some special military operation. In Iraq, they hunt down Saddam Hussein. In Libya, we know what happened to Gaddafi. But in a, in a special military operation, we can all see that uh, Zaluzhny is basically several times visited even front line and nothing happened to him. He is safe and secure. And one of the reasons why, because someone who will eventually sign uh, agreement, any agreement, has to be legitimate, has to be legitimate. Uh, this is a very crucial point for Moscow, I believe. Uh, that's how Moscow operates. So mm -hmm. if uh, there will be elections in Ukraine and Zaluzhny will win that elections, whatever kind of elections that's going to be, uh, well, Moscow will have no issues with, with negotiations. But um, if uh, uh, some sort of military coup will take place, which is possibility also, then I believe Moscow will find difficult to talk to him even or, or agree on, you know, on or sign any agreements because uh, he will be called illegitimate, Ill illegitimate uh, leader. Maybe after coup, some sort of uh, elections will take place and after that, some agreements will be uh, achieved. That's a very different story. That's, uh, that gives him uh, some uh, level of legitimacy, uh, uh, definitely. If, if after military coup, some referendum or some uh, elections will take place. That's yeah. the first point. So for Moscow, it's very important to stay in a, in a, a legal framework. How Moscow sees is uh, legal. Uh, in the West, there may be a different opinion. What is uh, international law? What is not? But uh, Russia has its own take on this situation. And when it comes to negotiations, uh, what will Moscow demand? That's uh, also a crucial point. I believe, I believe at this point, at least what Moscow will demand is full control over the entire southern eastern part of Ukraine, from Kharkov region up to uh, Odessa region. Uh, mm -hmm. There can be no other uh, sort of negotiations. If Ukraine as a state will survive in the Kiev and surrounding regions, uh, only, only because Russia did allow this to happen and only if Russia will establish full control, undisputable control over the southern eastern parts, which is a Russian speaker regions and basically Russian regions that was gifted to uh, Ukraine by Bolsheviks uh, after revolution, you know, and yeah. uh, uh, so let's let's do after, this Let, after let's, collapse of let, Soviet Union. Uh, I want to get into Empire, some of this. Sorry. I definitely want to get it get into some of this history um, and also uh, cer certain things Putin said that I think touch on some of this history. In, a, in, a, in recent remarks. So let's do that after a short break on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Stop letting leftists set the agenda. Stop letting them turn nothing burgers into the most pressing issues of the day. Stop letting them use words like inclusion, equity, fairness, and diversity as cudgels to beat you into submission. Stop bowing. Stop scraping, stop bending the knee, and stop giving them what they desire, an abject apology, assuring them that they'll get their way and everything will be fine. Because it won't be fine. That won't be the last complaint. Every time you submit to them, you encourage them. You give them more fuel for their next attack, and it will go on for decades. The Onondaga Nation complained to Syracuse University about the Saltine Warrior mascot in 1978. And here we are, 45 years later, the Onondaga Nation is complaining to Liverpool High School about using Warriors as their athletic mascot. For 45 years it was fine, but now all of a sudden in 2023 it's not. Stop giving in to this culture of destruction. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory 
is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Navigating through the minefield of misinformation, intelligence operations, predictive programming. This is Connecting the Dots with Matt Aaron on today's News Talk TNT Radio. All right, welcome back to Connecting the Dots. Um, we were just talking a little bit about some of the historical dynamics. Uh, oftentimes when people look at a map and they, they look at a country, they, they sort of see the current borders as these immutable, crystallized things. And they, they lose a sense of process that the borders of most countries... Uh, are are much more fluid than they realize and are shaped by all sorts of decisions made by humans being tragic or heroic but there's there's a history is much richer uh than people often um think and we were just talking about Ukraine in general the historic evolution of what what brought us to the current situation of flux that is Ukraine and Putin recently stated that the only the only historic uh, how did you word it? The only grantor for territorial integrity of Ukraine was historically Russia. He said this also at around the same time that he gave, I, I don't know if it was the same speech where he was remarking that certain forces within Poland might have yes. dreams of uh, reclaiming West Ukraine, Galicia. And, and uh, he's like, you know what? We won't intervene. We'll let hist- history decide and figure things out. What can you say to that? What's, what's all of this about? Well, um, I think uh, I think Putin was quite direct, really, in his uh, speech when he said that um, for a reason, I believe, that there are certain forces in Ukraine, uh, sorry, in Poland, that are dreaming about uh, reclaiming uh, parts of Western Ukraine that used to be uh, uh, part of Poland before Second World War. And we are talking about some at least 80% of Western Ukraine, some major cities uh, in the in the West, like uh, um, Lvov, like uh, Lvov, like uh, Ivano-Frankovsk city, like Rovno, this is big cities in uh, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Putin was very, very clear that there are some forces who will like to reclaim uh, Western parts of uh, Ukraine that used to be a part of Poland. And uh, I, I also believe that uh, this is inevitability. I believe that uh, this conflict uh, in Ukraine will end by full-scale disintegration of uh, of Ukraine, and uh, uh, historical, let's say, land that used to be part of Poland will will eventually become under control of Warsaw. Also, uh, parts of uh, Hungary before First World War, which was then given to Czechoslovakia and then from Czechoslovakia to USSR, also will probably return to Hungary and uh, parts of uh, Romania. Uh, right next to Moldova, will also become under that under control the, of uh, uh, Romania. That's the Bes- Besarabia, uh, right? Yes, uh, yes, and uh, well. Um, so when did when did because um, you were mentioning that the Bolsheviks gave a lot of this land uh, over to or or contributed to the creation of the current situation of borders in Ukraine. Uh, w- w- what did the Bolsheviks do? I know Putin's been quite critical about some of the decisions that were made early on. Uh, what what was that? What did they do? Uh, well, uh, Bolsheviks uh, basically gifted Ukraine all entire southern and eastern parts of uh, of the uh, modern Ukraine from Kharkov region, from Kharkov region to Odessa region. And after all, Odessa, for example, uh, was built during the Ekaterina's uh, reign. Yeah. Uh, and all the all the cities, all the major cities in the southern eastern part from Kharkov, Dnepropetrovsk, Zaporozhye, Odessa, Nikolaev, just name it, all of it. And it was gifted by uh, Bolsheviks to create this uh, Ukraine as a Soviet republic. Uh, it was. Uh, what, what do you think uh, the strategy was? What, what, what were they thinking um, strategically when they made that uh, decision? Uh, it's not hard to tell. They were. They were. Uh, in my understanding, Bolsheviks were some kind of. Uh, uh, I don't know, man. They, they, <laughs> all they think or all they care about was probably this uh, uh, worldwide revolution. I don't know what was going on in their mind, but they definitely mm. did not care about separate states or uh, on about states in general in some sense they were uh, true revolutionaries uh, of of the time and uh, 
they needed to mm. create uh, this uh, Ukraine. They were probably thinking that it's uh, it's I don't know it's good stuff to uh, even uh, even uh, somewhat uh, support this uh, uh, reborn of uh, Ukrainian nationalism in some sense. And uh, well, after fifties, we may say that Ukrainian was basically uh, quite uh, you know quite. Um, self uh, self uh, concentrated uh, this no nas nationalist um, ideology didn't went uh, uh, away after uh, defeat of nazi germany or after neutralization of these boundary rights many of them many of them was freed by khrushchev from a gulag or, or from jail in soviet prisons they went back to ukraine and eventually them and their uh, uh, their kids end up in, in powerful positions. And for example, first president of Ukraine was neo-Nazi. First president really? of Ukraine was a uh, bomb. Hmm. Oh, of, of course, he was, uh, I will say, one may argue he was not neo-Nazi, he was ultra-radical or ultra-extremist, okay. But still, under his reign began this build-up of uh, neo-Nazi force in the Western Ukraine. Creation of this force that eventually in 2014 was so powerful that they managed to throw out legitimate government. So, uh, do you think that Khrushchev I don't know. I mean, was a was oh. a Western agent? I mean, he gave uh, Crimea over for no reason whatsoever. It seems he released, as you said, all of these Nazi uh, collaborators from gulags and sent them back to become a fifth column inside of Ukraine. Do you think he yes. was? A, do you think he was aware that he was a Western agent then, or do you think that he was just a, a fool? Uh, what was he? Why did maybe he, do he this? was? Uh, maybe he was. Uh, Maybe he was an uh, uh, idiot, how we say in English? Uh, useful idiot. Useful idiot. Useful idiot. Maybe that's what he was really, because uh, mm. according to law, according to law, even during the Soviet Union, procedure when Crimea was uh, uh, given to Ukraine was not fully fulfilled. So now Crimean officials and some officials uh, in mainland Russia are arguing on legal points that uh, entire this uh, secession of uh, Crimea from Russia was not e not legal even by Soviet law at the time. But because it was a uh, one-party state and uh, Khrushchev was basically kind of dictator, uh, he said uh, that's what we're going to do and that's what was done. Basically, Crimea was gifted to Ukraine for no reason. Some people are arguing that it was done because of uh, water supply. Because of water supply, really? I mean, no. who does that kind of stuff, man? No, that's uh, not persuasive. <laughs> yes, especially if you take in account how important Crimea is for Russian history and Russian culture. It's, uh, I mean, uh, Russia did fight, fought and lost so much uh, uh, lives for, for Crimea to establish uh, control over this territory and to build the entire southern, southern Russia. And then uh, this, uh, this individual came in and just gifted uh, Crimea in 54, 1954 to Ukraine for no apparent reason, really. So maybe he was a useful idiot. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he was Ukrainian yeah. nationalist. After, he, after all, he was from Ukraine. He was from so, Ukraine. That's true. I forgot about that. That's so, yeah, that's He that's was right. from Ukraine. So okay, he who knows what a... was going on in his mind, you know? Huh. Uh, but, uh, well, it's not just Crimea. As, as I said, man, from... Uh, from... Uh, uh, Kharkov, uh, to, uh, to Dnepropetrovsk, uh, to Odessa, yes, Zaporozhye, mm -hmm. uh, Odessa, entire these territories was uh, part of Russia, historical Russia, and the Bolsheviks mm -hmm. did uh, talk this land and just give it to Ukraine to create modern Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, mm -hmm. well, they had the name for themselves, those Bolsheviks, isn't it? The pro they were for proletariat revolution uh, all around the world, and, uh, you know, they did not care about about national states, I, I, I guess. That was mm -hmm. not important for, for them. Right. It ultimately didn't play, the sovereign nation state didn't play a, a role so much in their equation of what the world should be. But then that, that that's a question I, I've also been, been playing with is like, just like we were describing how in Ukraine you have different factions, you know, there, it doesn't mean anybody is necessarily the good guy, but you have certainly different factions fighting amongst each other. 
uh, some much more sane than others. Obviously, Yanukovych represented a pragmatic, um, much, much saner view of self-interest of Ukraine than his enemies. Um, what about for the yes. Bolsheviks? I don't, I don't want to like, this might be too big of a topic to bring up, but when you look at the Bolsheviks, obviously, by the time that Russia was fighting the Nazis, the worst elements of those um, anarcho-global empire, or like global revolution Trotskyists had lost their influence. What yes, accounts for the saner, because there, there must have been saner factions within the Bolsheviks who didn't want to play that game and who ended up uh, fighting the Nazis. How did you account, how do you think about, uh, or account for that Well, fight it was a figure of Stalin, I, I guess. I'm not historian, so my, mm. my understanding may, may be mistaken, but I think figure of Stalin did play a bigger role because he had the issues with uh, this uh, globalist for that time because Bolsheviks, they were globalists for, for that time. They, they wanted this one world government in their understanding everyone should supposed to be bolsheviks communists and, and you know and uh, well stalin had maybe because of uh, his uh, insecurity he was uh, uh, not trusting nobody and he began uh, basically take him out one by one uh, trotsky eventually end up in in, in latin america and 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 uh, you know and all the trotskyists all, all that movement was eradicated eventually or mostly from, uh, or, or, from or they became or they became neoconservatives <laughs> or or yes or maybe they they were too clever and and just uh went into this communist party and eventually yeah maybe they bring uh bring to power gorbachev who knows maybe, uh, maybe. it's interesting uh, eh? i mean there's there's so much well okay so gorbachev shevardnadze who was from georgia by the way oh right that, that was a quite well. interesting company yeah mm. so, so bolsheviks well, it's a big big topic but uh there mm -hmm. were some kind of uh, uh global globalist power at the moment from other side not the modern globalists but uh you know from from opposite side maybe because they also had the, these weird ideas that they have to they have to spread this revolution and the ideas worldwide and uh Mm -hmm. they did quite a lot to achieve this really and uh, quite successfully <laughs> at some mm -hmm. areas and the world was basically divided isn't it uh, during the cold yeah. war between these two ideologies uh, yeah it seemed so... like quite the uh quite the formulaic approach to divide the world to conquer the world um in in some ways but no it's it's interesting what you're also bringing up with gorbachev um but but as a, as i guess the last question i would i would throw at you um uh, the Slo uh, Fico, the 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 Prime Minister of uh, Slovakia, he gave a very solid statement saying that at the end of the day, he would never allow for Ukraine's entry into NATO because that would mean nuclear World War III. Um, do you think that there is sufficient resistance amongst the member states of NATO to stopping the type of like they already allowed Finland in, but Sweden still there's some blocks. Ukraine, yeah. obviously Georgia, there's there's blockage. Um, do you do you think that there is a sufficient nationalist, sane, I guess I could call it, sane resistance force within member states to stop this thing from getting uh, into World World War III uh, land? For sure, I want to believe that it is because uh, it's not just a new government of Slovakia, uh, but also Hungary. Uh, both states are members of NATO and they are openly opposing uh, further enlargement of uh, not just NATO, but also EU, also EU. And when it comes to Ukraine, both states are quite clear that Ukraine is nowhere near to the standards that at least formally EU and NATO are applying for a new members to be legitimate, you know, eligible to join the organizations, uh, EU and, and the NATO. So. I believe I believe it's not just the Hungary and the, uh, Slovakia, but uh, if if there is any deep state in in major European states, let's say in Germany, in France, uh, uh, even in UK, they will probably be opposing uh, idea that Ukraine may join NATO. Maybe they did not ever take seriously this topic, and they just use Ukraine as a pawn from very beginning 
to generate this confrontation and then to provoke this confrontation between Russia and, and Ukraine, and then use, use it as an additional reason to force, let's say, NATO member states in Europe to increase their budget spendings on military and, uh, and uh, by, by reinforcing, uh, by militarizing basically NATO member states, prepare themselves not to fight Russia, but China. I, I, I believe the uh, main goal for uh, Western ruling class is China. And they use mm. Ukraine as a proxy to create this uh, conflict, to demonize Russia, to scare uh, Europeans. And uh, you, you see this propaganda, isn't it? That after Ukraine, Russia gonna attack uh, this member of NATO and that member of NATO. And unfortunately, nobody is asking in, in, in Europe, for example, why? I mean, why? Mm. I can understand why Russia was so uh, active when it comes to Ukraine joining NATO, but why are they going to attack Poland, let's say? Well, also reason. the fact that, that Putin just gave a sort of green light to Poland to yes, take absolutely. A, a chunk of Ukraine if they want to should, yes, I think, disprove the thesis that he wants to take Ukraine and has global ambitions. No, he's basically saying, Poland, you want the, you want it, you take it. I mean, it's yes, up to yeah, you. Yeah. It's not our... <laughs> yes, absolutely. And very same time, he said that, but we will not give her nobody our our territory and of course he meant uh, uh he meant uh West former, yeah, the, former the, parts of russian yes russian yeah, uh, Dunbass empire. And, and, yes absolutely. of course Dunbass. as you can hear from the music uh, it's coming on so um let's just say if people want to reach you and follow your work where do they go uh opinion uh, name of my channels on rumble youtube and uh, telegram so. Okay, Telegram especially, it's a fantastic resource, highly suggested. So this has been a great uh, episode of Connecting the Dots. We'll see everybody next week on TNT Radio Dot Live. Thank you. <laughs>